If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 44. <clears throat> Isaiah 44. And uh, going to be in verse uh, 21. Isaiah 44, verse 21. I'm looking in the New Testament for something. It'll give me a second here. And together we'll get this all done about the same time. <clears throat> all right. Remember these things, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I have made you. You are my servant. O Israel, I, have, I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, O earth, beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests, and you trees, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. Um, remember the song, you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will burst forth before you. There'll be shouts, joy, and all the trees of the fields will clap, will clap their hands. And if you were really bold, you began to clap then. Uh, but I'm not going to answer that of you tonight, but it's a great song. And uh, what I want you to understand is that in, in Scripture, from beginning to end, one of the things that just keeps getting touched upon each one of us is the, is the message that I'm trying to focus on that this text shares and that I want you to, to kind of understand. If you look at the word I in this text and you identify that the I here is God doing for you the important thing you need to grapple with and understand and absorb is the i have done this for you O israel and again because the power of the gospel is when i take my eyes off myself and i rest them on the purity of what the gospel really says which is i have done these things for you and that becomes the real message that i want us to kind of rest on that i I want us to kind of hope in. I took the uh, confirmation kids through this little section. I'll read it just a little bit. You don't have to look it up. Uh, in, Ephes- or in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, this is the section on the armor of God. I'm not going to go through the whole section. But I, I wanted you to just listen to the first phrase again because I want to connect and make you understand how many times the same theme is repeated and repeated and repeated. And the reason it's repeated is because we're just that dense. I kind of joke with my kids in class sometimes. I gave them a quiz. And I look at them and I go, first thing I'm going to grade you on, put your name in the upper right-hand corner and put the class hour in the upper right-hand corner with it. Right? I said, make sure you put your name in the right-hand corner and make sure you put your class hour. By this time, I got a couple of kids watching me. I go again the next time. Don't forget, what did I tell them all to do? And I point to one of the kids who are paying attention. Put our name in the upper right-hand corner. And what else? And the uh, hour, wait a minute, like this, and you go and you kind of get done. And inevitably, when you grade the quiz, your first question you say, if their name and the class hour is not in the upper right-hand corner, take a point off, what's a, what am I going to hear? You didn't tell us. Right? It's a characteristic of me. I'm not pointing any fingers at them. I'm just using them as an example to show you what we're all a little bit like, right? We get distracted, we don't understand, we don't grapple with it. 
And then I had for the first time today, which was really funny, one kid wrote down the wrong hour and he wanted credit for it. <laughs> I said, you wrote down, well, I tried, you know, well, that's really nice, take a point off. You know, so, and then they fought and whined some more and I said, all right, take a half a point off. If you can't get the right hour, you gotta lose something. So, but uh, it, it's a characteristic of us. And you say, well, doesn't this sound so simple? How is it that I can't understand this? How is it that I can't grapple with what uh, is being taught to me, Isaiah? And then I want you to listen, 6 verse 10 of Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Then it tells you, put on the full armor of you. No. Put on the full armor of God. Now I'm going... I worked really hard with the confirmation kids. I'm not sure I got through to many of them. I'll have to ask them next week when they get tested on it and everything else. But I worked really hard trying to help them understand that my confidence is not in my armor, but in what the armor is made out of and whose it really is. In other words, and in the armor of God. And I go, why does he do this to us over and over again? That first point, be strong in the Lord. Does it say be strong in yourself? No. You want to know why? All you have to do, uh, you know, is, is experience something you didn't anticipate, right? And suddenly your heart and everything is wavering. Everything just feels like it's shaking back and forth. And you run down these paths of doubt and conflict and the old what ifs or it could have been's, right? And you go down that path and and you're, you're, you don't have any idea when it's ever going to stop because you just keep going, what if this, what if that, what could it be here and there and someplace else? And it's, so, it's the nature of me, it's the nature of mankind. We do that repeatedly, no matter how many times God tells you, be strong in the Lord, be strong in His mighty power, put on the full armor of God, and then the miracle of this verse goes, so that you can take your stand. So it gets to be your stand, and you get to benefit from all of the armor, but your confidence cannot be in yourself. And that's the challenge. And I'm going, one of the things that I find most fascinating about myself, about us as Christians, about whatever it is, why would God have to repeat this so many times? Why would he have to keep telling us over and over? You think something as simple as, put your confidence in me, would just register and we'd say, well, yes, that's what I will do, and I'll live like that from now on. But we don't. It's just the, the nature of who we are. We always want to drag our feet and miss that. Now listen to the Isaiah one again. And the point starts like this. It goes, remember. Remember. Right? <laughs> Why is he saying that? You know, uh, he's going, remember, because most of us will forget. All right. So he's going, remember these things, O Jacob, for you are my servant you got to understand the ownership. The beauty of this ownership is not, I own you, but the concept here is that you belong to me in all of the positive ways. It's like you putting your arm around my child, and you bring all of your strength into that moment, and you say, child, you're mine. I will give everything for you. And if you remember that moment when you felt the strength, uh, you know, sometimes it's so nice just to be a little kid and feel the strength of mom and dad or someone around you, and you just can rest in that, that's that moment. You are mine. And you're, you're supposed to rest confidently in who you belong to. And you've got to understand 
if I belong to my dad, who is the king of all heaven, the creator of the world, and all these things, that's where my confidence rests. So he goes, for I have made you, excuse me, remember these things, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel, I have made you. Now you go, well, what's important about that? Well, you can apply it in the context here. It obviously would refer to the fact that he called Israel out of nothing and brought them into existence as a great nation. He called Israel out of nothing from the, uh, you know, Abraham down through Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and down through the whole line, brings them out of slavery into the land of Canaan, into the promised land. He makes them out of nothing. They, he not only makes them in the, in the political sense or in the country sense, he has made them physically. And he looks at them and he says, I've made you. And he tries to get you and I to focus on that. You know, understand, if he goes, I have created every single cell of your body. I was working with some kids today who are struggling with this idea of how come God doesn't heal us all the time? Right? I mean, Pastor Harmon, does God still do miracles? Yes. Well, if he can still do miracles, how come we still get sick? Well, that's a legitimate question. Right? And, you know, I go, then, I, then I, I begin to go, well, did he promise you you'd never get sick? No. Did he promise you you wouldn't suffer? No. Did he, you understand? You've got to start going through this whole long list of the promise, right? You've, if you've heard the song, there's a song called The Promise out there. But he goes through this list of, I didn't promise you this. I didn't promise you this. I didn't promise you this. I didn't promise that your friends wouldn't turn against you. I didn't promise that the people you trusted wouldn't give, you know, fail you. I didn't promise that these things wouldn't happen to you. But I did promise that I would be with you. I did promise that you would win. I did promise those things that I, you know, he gives us in return. It says that you will never be forsaken that you will know my love and my confidence, my grace, and all the different things that he promises. And so in this context, I said, as I was explaining to the kids, that you begin to understand that the healing of God, even if he healed you, the truth is that one week, one month, one year, ten years later, you probably will very much get sick again. you got to understand, God is not simply up there to reassure me that every bone of my body and every cell of my body stays healthy. That may not be in his plan. Lord, remove this thorn in the flesh. Remove this thorn in the flesh. God answers, no. My grace is sufficient for you. And you begin to understand, so many times God is communicating with us, speaking to our hearts, speaking to the, the situations that we're caught in, and he's trying to let us know what's going on. Because there's always something else happening around us that we can't always grapple with and understand. So here he goes, you are my servant, I have made you. Then he goes on, O Israel, another promise, I will not forget you. How many times when you feel a situation is getting out of hand, God must have forgotten me. He must not be paying attention right now. Certainly this situation I'm in can't be with him watching me. This can't be the right situation, right? As Peter gets thrown in jail. As his son gets crucified on the cross. Certainly this could not be the right thing, Lord. God whispers, yes, that's the right thing. Yep. 
They're going to crucify you upside down, Peter. Yep, that's the way you're going to go. Right? And uh, the first thing we want to do is shout back at God. You're not working. You're not accomplishing your purposes. And God whispers yet back to you, yes, I am. Yes, I am. And so in the middle of these situations, he speaks to them, I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud. One of the promises. How many of my sins have been removed? Answer, all of them. All of them. So when I stand before the Lord and I'm discovering I have this problem, this situation, is it because of my offenses? No. I do not have to sit there and not be assured that God is not working in my situation. I don't have to be lacking confidence that God is not working even now that this thing looks out of control and it doesn't look quite the way I want it to turn out. And so God keeps assuring us. He speaks to them again. I will not forget you. I've swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like a morning mist. So watch, there's three eyes again. I have made you. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud. Those are promises. Those are absolutes. They're coming from God who's speaking to your heart right now, saying these are things you can count on from me. I'm not taking you out of the world, and in the world you will have suffering. I'm not taking you out of the world. In the world, people will let you down. I'm not taking you out of the world, and in the world there will be situations and sickness and and problems and unpredictabilities and wars and rumors of wars. I've never hidden anything from you. I've always told you the truth. This is really what the world is like. But I have, and here's the good news, over come the world and you will overcome it with me because I have made you I have uh, excuse me I will not forget you and I have swept away your offenses this is not necessarily what you quite want to hear because what you really want to hear is every time you stub your toe just call me I'll take care of it every time the finances gets a little tight let me know I'll write you a check Every time you get a little, hey, I got a toothache back here. I don't want to go to the dentist. I hate the dentist, right? Could you take care of that, right? That's really what we want. And God reveals himself not as simply, okay, Bruce, whatever you want, just let me know. Instead, he reveals himself as the one who made me, the one who redeemed me, the one who brought me from nothing into life, the one who gives me opportunity upon opportunity, the one who works in every situation I've ever had to deal with, who ministers to me in my pain, ministers to me in my joy, reaches into my circumstance, and has the ability to work in the middle of every situation I've been in. That promise has been faithful. If I rely on the promises as I see and know them, you begin to understand how how God begins to work. Next point. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Now the return, obviously, is very similar to our word repentance. Okay, the return, I was walking in this direction, and the Lord said, return to me, and he called me back from the direction I was going in. That means to repent, to be walking in one direction and turn into the new direction again. So God looks at you and he says, as I'm walking away, remember I made you, remember you belong to me, you understand, he's shouting these things out to me, as he speaks these words to me, he is calling me hoping that I will return. Now, I have to return because what happens is, you have to understand, don't just picture like I'm giving up my faith. 
But picture the time when you go through turmoil. Picture the time when you, you're just sitting there in the anxiety of the moment. Uh, it looks like the company is folding. It looks like your job is disappearing. It looks like you're not going to have enough money to make it through the month. It looks like the situation with your health is not going in the direction you want it to go to. It looks like your son or your daughter is in the middle of a problem. Whatever that overwhelming moment is, when I have God here and I start walking down the Bruce Harmon path, and the Bruce Harmon path is what am I going to do? How am I going to rescue this moment? How am I going to bring it about? It's always about how am I going to do it and solve it, and yet God says, be strong in Him. Rest in my armor. Put your trust in me. Now, the process here, if you watch in the, in the sequence in Isaiah, it goes, again, I have made you. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses. Return to me. And this is other beautiful one. I have redeemed you. I have bought you out of every circumstance you're in. I have purchased you. And the neat thing about the word redemption, sometimes we don't understand this. When God purchased me, he purchased every bit of this rotten old hide from head to toe, from inside and out. He didn't selectively say, I'll take this part of Harmon, but I don't want all of Bruce. He redeemed all of me. He brings me and says, I paid the price in full for every bit of what you are, including the things that you're not, including the failings and the fears and the stupidities, and the arrogances, and everything else that I can be, or that you can be, he says, I still want that person. I want you over here with me. And he shouts out to you, I have redeemed you. And he says, return to me. And then the miracle of what I want him to try to help you understand, you see, repentance is that return moment. Now here's the part, here's the doorway, right? All right, I hear this shouting. I'm, I'm walking down this path of fear and dread and uncertainty and anxiety and stress and all the things I'm walking down. And God shouts out to me, I have redeemed you. Turn around. All right, and I turn around and watch the next verse. Okay, here it comes. Sing for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, O earth, beneath. Burst into song, you mountain, for your forests and all your trees for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. Now you've got to personalize that. In other words, you turn around and you see that moment and all you see, what? Is yourself, right? All you see is a, you're coming back and you're, you're dragging your pain with you and you're dragging your anxiety, but somehow the Spirit of God has, has caused you to walk in this right direction and he's coaxing you, pulling you back. And what you don't see is what heaven says when one sinner repents, all heaven breaks loose. Harmon turned back around again. Can you believe it? I think God has had to work on him more this week than any other week of his life. You have to understand, I'm not going to pretend heaven breaks loose when one sinner gets saved, but I think it breaks loose also when I walk in one direction, I turn around and start walking in the direction I'm supposed to go. I, I think sometimes... We, there's these passages in the New Testament that talk about angels. And it says, because of the angels or because the angels are watching, you should do certain things. The things that strike me is a lot of people think that angels know the future. Do you ever think about what your guardian angels put up with with you? Harmon, where are you going now? What are we going to do with it? Bro, 
Bruce, this, are you listening to God at all, right? I don't know what your guardian angels do, but mine are working like crazy. Okay? And every time I turn around, I gotta, they got to be happy. You know, they've got to be rejoicing. Oh, the bum turned around again. All right? We got him before he went off the edge of the cliff. We got him before it got any worse. He turned around. You have to understand, the angels are dealing with me in an immediate reality. They are ministering spirits sent by God to rescue wretched little people like me who can walk down that path of stupidity and arrogance and not hear the words, you're mine, I made you, I redeemed you, until sometimes it finally breaks in and I turn around and walk back. And then the beauty of these words, sing for joy, O heavens, the Lord has done this, shout aloud, O earth, beneath it, burst into song, you mountains, you forests and all your trees, for the Lord has redeemed. And so in terms of the picture, try to understand when I stop walking down there, what do I come back to, right? Here's this path that I've been walking, sometimes for a moment, sometimes for a day or a week or a month or a year, right? I've been walking in the gloom and doom and depression of whatever situation I can be in. And I, and I think in reality, we have all kinds of them. I mean, I can, I can tell you that I can walk down a path and all of a sudden God breaks into my world and it's, I've only been walking that path for a few minutes, but sometimes I can walk that path for a few days and sometimes great, great lengths of time before God finally breaks in and goes, why don't you walk away from that? And I go, but God, I've been carrying this for so long. And God says, well, great, I redeemed it. No. Yeah, I redeemed all of that stuff. Yeah, but God, that was such wretched sinfulness on my part. How can you possibly redeem this part of my life? He looks at you and says, I know what it is. Are you ready? I bought it. It's mine. I covered it with the blood. I will make it a blessing for you and for others around you if you will come back to me where you belong. And sometimes you got part of your life that turns around quickly, right? You come to your senses, but then there are those parts that just grind and wear and beat you down until finally one day the Holy Spirit breaks into you and says, I'm calling you back. And for the first time, that portion of your life is redeemed in your head. It's been redeemed and covered by the blood. But for the first time, you're going, God, you really see that moment when I did that wretched thing? And he whispers and says, yes, I want you back. And you see, that's the beauty of the repentance part. That's the beauty of what begins to happen. And I begin as you walk back covered by the mercy of God as he just opens your eyes to what he's been doing and the redemption he's offered you. It, he says now he creates around you as all earth breaks loose. Just picture here the sounds of the earth, the heavens, and all the creatures around you celebrating the fact that you now are understanding your relationship with God properly. For the first time in some areas of your life, Sometimes years. Haven't you been in situations with your wife or husband or children and all of a sudden, like I've told you before, when I've confessed sins before you, I go, all of a sudden God just goes, and that portion of your life is just cracked open. Just cracked open. For the first time, light pours into it and life pours into it and healing pours into it. And you don't even know how it got there. You don't even know that you've been carrying it. You don't even know that it's been festering away in your life. And God's Spirit just breaks into that part. And you turn and you come back to the one who redeemed you. 
And so you have to understand in terms of our walk with God, in terms of how God rescues us, work of God is always completed at the cross. How much of God did, how much of me was redeemed at the cross? Every bit. But the truth is, every moment I live, I discover parts of my life that have been redeemed that I haven't let go of. Parts that I've hung on to. Parts that I didn't even fully comprehend. And God is offering that totality of rescue in my life and yours. And so the miracle that he's trying to point out here is this part, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob, he displays his glory. Isn't this unbelievable? In Bruce Harmon. Bruce Harmon is not glorious. I have nothing. You want to know what? God loves me. That's glorious. He displays his glory in you. When you pick your sin, pick your worst sin, pick your worst compromise, pick the worst deed, and we'll just kind of display it in one sense and try to understand that God enters into that situation. He redeems you. He calls you to be his, and he displays his glory in you. Meaning, God has the ability to love a man like me. God has the ability to work in a man's life like my life. God has the ability to redeem every part of the circumstances that I live in. God has done all those things for me. And so the miracle is when that touches, and I look at you and I go, I've got nothing. And people say, yes, but you're forgiven. I said, I know. What else you got? I'm free. What else you got? I am loved. Can you believe it? God loves me. You see, the glory, although it's mine in the sense that I'm receiving it, is not mine in the sense that it reflects me. Instead, the reflection is the glory of God loving a sinful man like me. And so that doorway of turning, that doorway of repentance, is when God's glory for the first time is able to be poured, and you go, even in this area? Yeah. How about this area of sin? Yes. How about that area? Haven't you heard those testimonies? Haven't you listened to those radio programs and heard those people that will just say, I was a drug addict and I was a prostitute and I did this and I did this and I was turned by God's Spirit and I became a different creature. And what you're hearing even over the radio is not their glory, but the glory of God reflected in their words. And God rescues me. As we think about that, Try to rest in the power of what that means in your life. Don't let Satan uh, try and let you use your armor. Don't let the world try and think you've got the strength. You haven't got the strength to stand up to Satan or the world or your own flesh. You have not the strength to win the battle, but you have the Lord and the strength of the Lord who has won it for you. And that becomes the challenge. Let's pray together.